0: Hello and welcome to Living Your Best Life, a Parkinson's podcast with the Irish Examiner. I'm your host, Anne-Marie O'Connor, and we're here to mark Parkinson's Awareness Week with a five-episode special focusing on personal stories from the Irish Parkinson's community, the obstacles faced, challenges overcome, and tools used to live their best lives. On yesterday's episode, I chatted with Jerome Maugham about his experience of early-onset Parkinson's and the therapeutic benefits of singing. Today's guest, Rochelle Flanagan, is a multi-hyphenate dietitian, advocate and tech entrepreneur. She was diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's in 2017 after noticing symptoms when she was pregnant. She has since become an ambassador for the World Parkinson Congress 2023 and a passionate brain health champion. She's a co-founder of the Women's Parkinson's Project and My Moves Matter Startup, a digital self-care companion to support the personalized needs of people living with Parkinson's disease. Welcome to the podcast, Rochelle. Oh, thanks, Emilian. Really, it's great to be here. That, that when I was writing your bio, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in the presence of greatness. <laughs> <laughs> you've, done, you've done like an enormous amount of advocacy work since your diagnosis. Yeah, Can you yeah. take us back to, because um, you were only diagnosed recently enough, isn't that yeah, right? Yeah, well, I
1: suppose it was someone who's asked me actually uh, on social media, how long are you diagnosed? And um, so my daughter is six, so I was pregnant with her when I picked up the symptoms myself. So so you could say it's seven years ago, I suppose. Yeah. Um, technically, I wasn't diagnosed until after she was born and finished breastfeeding um, because I had to have a DAT scan uh, to confirm the diagnosis. Yeah.
0: And uh, so what symptoms, like what, what, um, what triggered your concern? I'd imagine about, um, did you think it was Parkinson's immediately? Did you mistake it for something else? Um, no, I, I, to be honest, it was just, it was, I'm a dietitian by background and I was,
1: you know, working in my clinic and, you know, had paper-based record cards and a patient had come back to see me after about five years, you know, a weight loss patient who wanted, you know, f- for something else. And when I was writing in my record card, I noticed my handwriting was much smaller than I had written in previously, five years previously. That's really strange. And then I tried to make my handwriting bigger and I couldn't. And I thought, okay, okay that's not normal. Um, so then, of course, went on to Dr. Google and you know yeah. came up Micrographia, which is basically small handwriting. And I searched and searched. And the only thing that was really associated with was Parkinson's. No matter yeah. how hard I tried to find something else, okay, it kept coming up. And I said, that's really odd. So then I was actually skiing with my uh, family. Now I wasn't skiing because I was three months pregnant, Mm -hmm. but I was uh, waiting for my husband and my son to come off the slope and uh, I was having hot chocolate and my hand wouldn't stop shaking.
0: Yeah.
1: And my husband came down and, you know, I said, oh God, you know, it's it's, it's, my hand's just, and I said, as long as it's not Parkinson's. And I don't know what made me say that, but I just was like, okay, the penny dropped between the handwriting and then my hand shaking. I thought, okay, I need to do something about this. So I went to my GP and said, I think I need to see a neurologist. Um, and got a referral to a neurologist. And when he saw me, I had no other symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, one thing I did have was, um, an aching sort of upper arm. Yeah. And I had this sort of, this sort of aching shoulder where, you know, I'd my handbag, it was always uncomfortable in my shoulder. I was getting physio yeah. for my arm and that, and now I subsequently realized that it was associated. It's still one of my symptoms, yeah. but he kind of said to me, look, you're very young, you're very healthy. So he put me through which a lot of people go through, um, you know, brain scan to check that it wasn't, yeah. you know, a tumor, which thank God it wasn't. And then uh, a nerve, trap nerve test for my arm problem. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then they were all fine. And he said, look, we, we need to do a DAT scan because it's kind of, it's not, it doesn't diagnose Parkinson's, but if you've got, um, you know, symptoms that maybe Parkinson's helps you to kind of confirm it. It eliminates other options. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I couldn't have that. First of all, I have to pay for it privately, but I couldn't yeah. have it until, my daughter was born and breastfed because it's you know it's a dye that you take yeah so that you yeah. can't obviously um you know have a, a a child you know um with it um a baby so so I had that uh, but I kind of knew myself that yeah. it was probably highly likely to be Parkinson's so when I was diagnosed and tell you it was the 20th of June
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: um one o'clock I think most people yeah, remember exactly remember you know it's a bit like when Princess Diana Ooh. died you know everyone knows yeah. where they were So basically um, it was was kind of sad because we were going on holidays a week later and, you know, it just, just the world kind of changed. And, you know, what should have been a wonderful celebration of my daughter being born,
0: you know, came with bittersweet diagnosis of of Parkinson's. was the impact immediate or did you find that it was a slow burn? Like I found with my diagnosis, I was in shock Mm -hmm. and it it didn't really register. I went into practicality Mm -hmm. mode and then it hit me a few months later, especially when somebody said to me that it's not, you know, medication will only help with the symptoms Mm -hmm. it won't help stall the progression of the disease. And it was a moment that just hit me. Mm -hmm. So did you have a similar moment where the penny dropped? I suppose I, I, to be honest, even before I got the
1: confirmation of of the the DAT scan, I kind of knew. So I in a way I was mentally prepared for mm-hmm. it. But I suppose when you get that final confirmation, it's still, you know, a bit of a, a shock. And and like you, I sort of went into sort of research mode. Yeah. You know, and yeah. what can I do to to manage this? Um I, I suppose for me, I was grateful it wasn't ALS. Yeah. You know, I yeah. was grateful it wasn't a brain tumor, you know. Um and I suppose in a way you know, yes, it's neurodegenerative progressive, but it it takes quite a long time to progress. So I suppose in the balance of things, it wasn't the worst thing for me to have. I suppose it was just what I would describe it as, you know, for a number of months, it was just this background kind of sadness. Yeah. That that this, you know, that I'd I'd had a lot of of losses, you know, I'd lost my mum, my my sister to breast cancer, you know, and, and there was a lot of loss and I just, we kind of got through that whole phase. Yeah. Um, and actually we had, you know, a number of uh, babies that we'd lost along the way. And, and, and so we were so excited to yeah. have our daughter who's 10 years apart from my son and it should have been just a really happy occasion. And it, you know, there was just sadness that that was, there's that a was lot the of case. grief
0: though yeah. with it, you know, there's, because there is, like you said, it's, it's a loss. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's a potential loss. Cause as you said, with you might have certain symptoms that are affecting you in the the immediate term but it's the long term that you're looking at Mm -hmm. and um that can that can be quite sad but you've got incredible perspective um from just listening to you do you how would you describe yourself do you have like any personality traits that you think have aided your journey over the past seven years
1: yeah i think to be honest you know with I suppose with a lot of things that have happened in my life, um, it's resilience, Mm -hmm. you know, it's um you've got to seize my sister didn't see her fiftieth year, you know. So you have lots of people who say, Oh, I don't want to sell my birthday because I'm gonna be sixty. I'm like, I'm gonna celebrate every freaking
0: birthday I (laughs) You know? And the cat's birthday. (laughs) Yeah, even the cat's birthday. But actually
1: I do think, you know, and I one thing about Parkinson's is I think in a way there's a certain gift to it that you know, with my sister, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, she was told that she'd four years to live. Like, can you yeah. imagine been told that? Yeah, now she got feel. nine years. You know, so in a way, we've been given a diagnosis that you know we can live with for, you know, many years, mm-hmm. 20, 30 years, which is going to be, you know, I'm 54 in May. If I live another 30 years, like that's going to be the average age, you know, of any yeah. woman in yeah. Ireland. But we've been kind of given this gift of of knowing that life is precious and enjoy it. Without being told you're going to die in four years, do, do you know yeah. what I mean? So I suppose I take that perspective. It's like as a unlucky. warning. Yeah,
0: it's kind yeah. of
1: like you know, enjoy everything that you've got and and yeah, live life. You
0: know. Are there any specific challenges, whether they're small or large, because I find with Parkinson's, sometimes it's the mundane things that can be the most um, oppressive Mm -hmm. because your whole lifestyle changes. So what specific um, challenges have you overcome where the, whether they're big or large um, and what helped you overcome them?
1: I suppose for me from the get go, like I I really enjoyed my work, you know, as a dietitian. you know, it was very varied, I did clinic work. I did, you know, work wellness stuff. I did projects. It was just a big part of me. You know, I've mm-hmm. never been a stay at home mum. It just, and I remember one of my child minders sort of saying, you know, it's, it's really healthy for the, the child that the mum is happy. And yeah. If you're happier working, then that's good for your, your kids. You know, I always mm-hmm. kind of felt like oh, I should be, you know, maybe, but actually I was the worst when I was at home because I just, my brain wanted to be working <laughs> yeah. you it. Know? So for me, that was a real challenge in terms of like my symptoms were relatively mild. I probably picked them up quite early. Yeah. So typing and writing were the biggest problems for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the micrographia and writing the guard. So that was really difficult, you know, because I had to find ways like so when you probably experience this, when you're multitasking with Parkinson. so when I'm with a the client they're, they're talking to me, you would be thinking, you know, how am I going to respond? Obviously, you know, putting a plan together for them yeah. and I can get worse because it can't deal with multitask at the same time so my handwriting literally deteriorate as that I'm trying to concentrate and formulate so that was really hard so when I was looking at my notes I was like couldn't read them so oh, no. that's a problem oh goodness so that was an issue um and then actually to be fair an OT uh fantastic OT in, in a place called personal health in, in Rathmines mm-hmm. um Marion Slattery uh was amazing in terms of saying you know look you know, you, you just have to find alternatives. So we Mm -hmm. kind of did an online form where I had check boxes. So helped me to kind of get around certain things. Great. So it's just, you know, so it is, and it still is quite debilitating. Um, but it's finding other ways. So I I use voice messages, you know, or I use voice recognition. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Much to the chagrin of my friends and family, but nonetheless, I love them.
1: But you know, it's funny. A lot of my friends have started doing them back to me and just sometimes it's just the energy. I'm just too tired. I'm just like, you know what, And that's the thing about Parkinson's. It actually wants to close down your world. It does. So you have to find ways to push back and make it bigger. And I'm going to push back and I'm going to do voice minutes because otherwise you stop communicating with people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: you've got to find the tools to, you know give the two fingers spark <laughs>
0: and you need to find the tools I'd imagine, um, to deal with the depleted energy, yeah. which, you know, that is associated with the, the low oh, yeah. dopamine levels yeah. that everyone faces. It's it, you get to a very specific point where you're like, um, measuring out who gets what, <laughs>
1: you know, I mean, I remember in terms of like, cause obviously, you know, we doing a little baby at the time and you just put it down to sort of, you know, pregnancy, post-pregnancy fatigue. Yeah. And, you know, but when I started on the medication, I was like, oh my God, like the difference yeah. was huge in terms of my energy levels picking up. Um, You know, and, and fatigue is probably one of the biggest symptoms people complain of. And uh, like, it just, it's like, I describe it to people as like pregnancy fatigue, which is like walking through cement. It is the most wow. horrendous fatigue. It's just like this wall of fatigue. Just, yeah, That was really hard, you know, dealing with that. But getting the meds right, really kind of sorted that out for me. And HRT.
0: Can you tell me? So we we've talked a bit about pregnancy and just touch on HRT there. You are a co-founder, if I'm correct, of the Women's Parkinson's Project. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about that and the exciting work that you've been doing?
1: Yeah, no. Obviously, we're we're um some sort of two years form. So basically, I uh, went to a thing called the World Parkinson's Congress, um, which you know was was sort of opened my eyes, and you sort of said about the advocacy that I that I do. So I actually have celiac disease and I had done a lot of advocacy for celiac. I was on the board of the Celiac Society and, but I hit my Parkinson's because I was afraid of the stigma around, yeah. you know, what my clients might think of it, what my, my peers might think of it. They might think lesser because it's a brain disease and, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, so I decided to go to the world Parkinson's Congress and, uh, you know, to, to sort of meet other young people and mm-hmm. see, you know, to sort of help with that stigma. And it really did. It was an amazing experience. Um, And I basically met a number of young onset women through that. And then through lockdown, we kind of started communicating with each other. And we set up a a Marco Polo group, which is like a a video WhatsApp. So you can do videos of each other. So they're in the States and I was, so I can leave a message and then they can message me back. And and, uh, we started to notice things like that our symptoms got worse around our periods, you know, Mm -hmm. and various different things were different for women. And, you know, in that we, um, we kind of said, you know, really, we need to raise the voices of, of women with Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And that basically was how the Women's Parkinson's Project. So it's not a not for profit or anything. It's just yeah. three women who came together uh, who decided to do just that to raise the women,
0: the voices of, of women with Parkinson's. And you wrote uh, or co authored a report, I believe, on the unmet needs of women. Yes. Yeah. Can you talk to us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that sort of came from the work. So I noticed, as I say, that my symptoms got worse around my menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a survey of, you know, 209 women around the world and 150 of them were still menstruating and 86% of them had the same issue. I thought, OK, that's a big enough sample to show yeah. there's something going on. So what happens is before you have your menstrual period, your estrogen levels drop. Mm-hmm. And with that, your dopamine levels drop. So obviously, for a woman who has Parkinson's, you already have oh, low dopamine. So you have this extra whammy of your. Yeah. So um, so that was kind of like you know a big aha moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, from that, I approached the Cure Parkinson's Trust. Um, with Helen Matthews there, who's a real champion for women. Um, and I said, look, would you could I host a webinar to talk about this? Yeah. And I invited a number of sort of experts around the world that I got to know through, through my advocacy and. Uh, there was about 250 women at that and then I approached Indu Subramanian who's a, a great champion neurologist yes. for women yeah and she hosted a webinar and through the PMD alliance I kind of co-hosted with her and we had 500 women at that like it's the biggest webinar I've ever been on. wow and just women with all of their you know it wasn't just about yeah. the mental cycle it was about you know around menopause is about fear of dementia about fear of living on their own, what's Mm -hmm. going to happen. There were so many things. And so we decided, look, really, we need to do a paper to raise this issue. Yeah. So we did a paper and it raised an awful lot of unmet needs uh, for women. And uh, we we posted on social media, got about 18,000 views. And it's really spawned an a movement, I think, within the Parkinson's community to really start looking at the diversity of people with Parkinson's. That's not just the old shaky man that, yeah. of course, the image has been for many years.
0: And in this paper, um, were you looking at different um, dif- women of different nationalities and different ages yeah. and different onsets?
1: Yeah. So, you know, things like in terms of women with Parkinson's of different ethnicities, they mm-hmm. actually fare the worst. So, um, you know, women generally get less access to research than men do. They get diagnosed later. They don't get yeah. the same access to treatments women of, you know, uh, different ethnicities, uh, minorities actually are even worse off mm-hmm. around the world. That was a big thing that we we picked up in terms of specific access to care. So things like DBS, women tend to not get referred for DBS as much as men do, even though they do sometimes better than, than men. Yeah. Um, interesting enough, women, when they are referred, don't take it up as much as men, but they don't know why because they haven't bothered asking the question. Yeah. Like in Ireland, they did a survey about, you know, getting medications on time in St. James's Hospital. And actually, one of the the key factors of whether you got your medication on time or not was whether you're a woman or not. Really? So women tend to not get their medication. So why is that? They didn't answer the question in in the survey. So, you know, so there's all of these different aspects. And then there's also we found big gaps in terms of gender. So in terms of, you know, with Parkinson's, one of the big symptoms is facial masking. Yeah. You know, and.
0: Can you describe facial masking for the So, so it's basically, the yeah.
1: you know, your lack of doping affects muscles throughout your whole body, including, including your face. Yeah. So it actually means that people don't smile as much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, interestingly, I think back, my son used to say to me, why aren't you smiling, Mum? You don't smile as much. Really? Just before I was diagnosed.
0: Out of the mouths of babes.
1: Out of the mouths yeah. of babes. So for women, what came up through the research is that's actually a real uh, problem for them because, you know, society expects women to be smiling and happy. Yeah. yeah. So, but often people don't know that they're not smiling. They're mm-hmm. not aware. So it's a bit like the arm not swinging properly. People aren't aware of that. Yeah. Because you lose the unconscious ability to do that. So unless you're told, so it's like as well, it affects your voice. So yeah. So people can be lower in voice. They can lose their intonation. And so for women... Again, they're traditionally seen as being sort of more, you know, intonations in their voice. And so that affects their communication. So that came across as as an issue as well for women. And the other thing that was really strong was around femininity. So, yes. And again, that's partly to do with, you know, obviously, in terms of women are worried about the fact that they might have dystonia. So they've deformed hand or tremor or facial masking, you know, and it affects their, their sort of femininity. And also, their that's role in the family yeah for some women can't take that role do it as well as they want to do it and so
0: the caregiver you know, role tends yes. to you know typically be yes fall I should yes. say on the shoulders of a woman yeah. so um yeah, yeah that's that's all really interesting yeah
1: and actually um one of the, the co-authors and Lynn Oosterbahn who's a um an amazing girl she's uh, a woman she is a neurologist uh, a, a gynecologist was a gynecologist she has parkinson's but she um, has done recently research on 100 women in the netherlands and she looked at work-life balance yeah and showed that you know most of the cohort had a huge um, amount of still the housework and the from a gender yeah. point of view is women tend to still even though they have a chronic disease still take on most of the caregiving the house and looking after the house which is a huge mm-hmm. extra layer
0: and extra stress I'd yeah. imagine i I'm like yeah. in
1: terms of fatigue I, I know with two kids like at times I'm like just yeah. you know get me to bed
0: <laughs> I know yeah. a half a day in the city center sometimes and I, I and I'm exhausted yeah. now I have to it's it's <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how it changes your your ability to take on too much yes yeah, yeah. yeah. um you really have to be careful like so I I find it 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 saddens me that like women feel that they, they have the, they have the, the duty as a caregiver, Mm -hmm. but also they have Parkinson's, but they feel that the, where are their needs getting met? Because, you know, your cup isn't full. So how can, if you're running on empty, like, how do you serve the needs of others? Um, Yeah. yeah, it must be exhausting.
1: Yeah. And and it is a concern because it means that, you know, uh, women, but it does happen to men as well, especially younger onset, early onset, is we know that generally speaking, if you're diagnosed early onset, um, that you lose 20 years of work life.
0: Oh God. You know, but
1: that actually could change if Mm -hmm. we got earlier access. And what I find with Parkinson's, you know, most people tell me, and I experienced as well, you're told you have a neurodegenerative progressive disorder, Mm kind of Here's some pills and off you go. Yeah. But yeah. there's so much, you Now going back to your podcast, the living your best life, you know, which is in terms of the app, is about empowering people yeah. to live their best lives because you can live well with Parkinson's, but it's it's getting support and it's, care. It's
0: a multi dimensional, multifaceted mm-hmm. disease. So yeah. pharmacological is one point, yeah, absolutely. Um, but then the you have the your community, mm-hmm. and you have all the tools which we're going to get into now because yeah. this is the juicy bit. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about the tools outside of you know medicine uh, for living your best life. Yeah. Um, how you you know the the adjunctive tools that you take into your life that may serve you and hopefully serve our audience yeah so you have co-founded a very interesting app called my moves matter mm. can you talk to us a bit about that
1: then? yeah i mean basically it spawned from uh taking part in a digital hackathon mm-hmm. um and basically they asked you to bring a problem and we you know the, the hackathon would help you build something to solve that problem so basically it was to develop an, an app and it kind of came out of the paper that we did on unmet needs that we needed some tool for women to be able to to actually prove that they were experiencing what they're I mean it's terrible to say that but we needed something to prove that they were experiencing the problem yeah they had. yeah because there's no clinical guidelines out there mm-hmm. to manage it because there's no evidence yeah So surveys aren't enough we need prospective evidence so what we've built is an app that tracks women's Parkinson's symptoms across their menstrual cycle and their medication intake so, we're going to hopefully do a pilot project with UCC, with um, Adina Sullivan there, who's a neuroscientist, just amazing research for, yes. for Parkinson's, uh, and also link in with the Health Innovation Hub in Cork. Um, I'm going to link in with Bart Post, who works with the Young Onset Group with Anne Lien in Holland, uh, to do a pilot trial perspective. So, over you know three to four months, mm-hmm. so we can actually hopefully prove what they have been experiencing so that we can lead to you know getting bigger research funding to to actually you know get the evidence so we can have the clinical trials so women aren't going into their neurologist and they're saying oh we don't know anything about that there will actually be clinical guidelines that's the 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 dream um but also in terms of the whole point of the my moves matter is it's not just about movement it's actually it's what's your next move in life Mm -hmm. what's your next choice what's the next decision so the app you know, although we're going to be doing the pilot trial on women is going to be open to men and women because it's about back to your point about personalizing. So we know as well that women are are men tend to be less health seekers. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem with Parkinson's. If you don't look for help, your Parkinson's is going to get worse.
0: 100 percent. I couldn't agree with you more.
1: So Parkinson's, you know, so if you think about it, Parkinson's because of lack of dopamine. What does dopamine do? It actually motivates you. Yeah. It stimulates you. So you need to do the things that stimulate you. So back yeah. to your question for me, it's my family. It's my friends, yeah. you know, my female friends in particular, you know, in terms of that sort of just, you just, you probably know when you go yeah. you know, with your girlfriends, yeah. you just get this buzz, buzz. you get it, you get, you, yeah, yeah. You that's, get your that's your it's dopamine. It's stimulating your dopamine. Yeah. So for me, you know, I started a thing called the dopamine dunk. It's where I go sea swimming, and yeah. uh, I basically did a fundraiser in, in lockdown to raise money to send people with young onset to the World Parkinson's yeah. course because I, you know, really benefited from it. I thought other people need to, to go to it, and I basically said, right, well, I need to do something that's going to challenge me, um, you know, because to, to raise money. So I went out for the 30 days of my birthday month or 31 in May 2021, and friends from all sorts of walks of life came and other people that I met, new friends now. And we've continued on. So we did it for 30 days. It was absolutely amazing. The sense of community. Yeah. You know, and that's what one thing that comes through in terms of the research around Parkinson's over COVID. It actually showed that the biggest factor for people worsening in their Parkinson's is is loneliness.
0: I, you know, that was one, one of the things that I've been so keen to address on, on the podcast is, Mm -hmm. is loneliness Mm -hmm. because it, you know, it goes hand in hand with isolation. Mm -hmm. And, um, like you said, that's just, um, and it's, studies have proven across the board anyhow with like the elderly in particular, that isolation and, and we, we recognize it from COVID how important community is. But when you have low dopamine, I mean, it's it's, it's even more so. Yeah, Yeah, it's crucial, crucial. So for me,
1: you know, that is really important. So community amongst my friends, doing things I like. Like I, I play hockey as well and I've gone back to You're
0: an hockey. international hockey champion. I, I,
1: I did, <laughs> yeah. You know, 23 caps for my yeah. country, um, which I'm very proud of when I was younger.
0: Amazing. Um,
1: and uh, so I was kind of debating, you know, I kind of thought to myself, I don't know whether i will be able to play as, you know, well, because, you know, yeah. on my right side is, you know, is my affected side. And would I be able to play as well you know, in terms of rigidity and slowness of movement? But it's fascinating when I have a hockey stick in my hand it just, it just goes away. I yeah. just, and I, I've seen, there's countless examples where people who can't walk, get on a bike dance. or they yeah. can dance. So there's something going on there in terms of the brain that it compensates. Yeah. So that's been a real, um, you know, so I suppose in a way it's, I've just kind of thought, don't fuck it, like just yeah. give it a lash and I'll do it as long as I can do it. And, you know, so that gives me, you know, a boost as well. So, that's really important for me is 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 my sport and that
0: and obviously as a dietitian mm-hmm. food must be a sort of medicine as well is there a way that we can are there any tips that you can give the audience in terms of how they can make small changes yeah. um to what they eat just yeah. to improve their mood and improve their well-being
1: yeah i mean in terms i've done lots of research on this and it's it's um you know, an area that is is quite simple to change, but actually the research is showing you know signs that the things like the Mediterranean diet or a diet called the Mind diet um, actually may be able to help slow progression, which is a bit like exercise. So yeah. the moment, there's no drug can do this. Yeah. Um. So you know, exercising is definitely one, and then the the the, the diet. So what's
0: in the Mediterranean diet specifically? So.
1: In essence, it's healthy eating, right? So if you look at the the food pyramid, it's it's kind of based on the same premise. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is more of a focus on your green leafy veg. So, you know, your broccoli, your sprouts, you know, all of those good things. And also your berries. So things there's actually research that shows blueberries in particular. Yes. Yeah. um, Have been shown to potentially slow progression. So getting, you know, blueberries in a number of times a Mm -hmm. week, but any berries. And generally in terms of antioxidants uh, and and the phytonutrients is colorful fruit and vegetable, you know, is the best way to go. The other thing then as well is quite uh, strong in the Mediterranean diet is obviously olive oil. Mm -hmm. So first cold pressed olive oil, uh, getting that in olives will obviously be another form of it. Uh, And then the other thing then is, you know, your your whole grains. So keeping the bowel, because with Parkinson's, it slows down every muscle, as I say, so it slows your bowel. So uh, with Parkinson's, when you're constipated, if you're on medication, it can affect the absorption. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, if you're constipated, it can build up sort of less healthy bacteria, which they think may be part of the, the whole gut brain issue in Parkinson's. So getting good whole grains, whole grain breads, rices, you know, so if your plates are very white, you're not getting enough yeah. whole grains. In. No beige, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no beige food. Yeah. And then, and fluid, getting yeah. plenty of fluid. And And then just in terms of If people are on levodopa medication, which Mm -hmm. most people are, it's timing your meals separate to your medication. If they have a lot of protein foods like, yes,
0: that's, that's That's key. I mean, these, that's from that for me was a real tipping point. Um, I had no idea that was yeah. that that was something that was a thing I know and <laughs> Until, I,
1: I, yeah I, I, I literally spent you know since I was diagnosed sort of advocating and ed- educating people yeah. around that because it isn't something that's you know the, the pharmacies don't say it often neurologists right. weren't saying it and it's it's it can make like I've had people say it's been a life changer for them
0: in terms yeah, of someone reality. could have said it to me but I think when you're diagnosed yeah a lot goes in one ear and out the other
1: but like um, that's exactly the point yeah. Is like You were diagnosed and probably didn't get to see someone for another, you know, six months. And and that's the problem is access to care. So you're not getting, like if you're diagnosed with diabetes, you get access to a diabetes care care center. You have access to a diabetes specialist nurse who rings you to check how you're getting on. Do you know you are reviewed every three months? We don't get that with Parkinson's. So it's no wonder that you probably didn't remember when you first, because, you know, when you're diagnosed, it all goes out the window. It all goes <laughs> out
0: one ear, in one ear and out the other. Um, but finally, um, are there any myths or misconceptions that about Parkinson's that you'd like to just bust or dispense with something that gets your goat?
1: Yeah. Um, I suppose the biggest one for me and I, you know, and that's, what we've done through the women's Parkinson's project. And you know, sort of work around the Mind Moose Matter is, you know, I kind of said I'd start on this journey with the app and sort of see where it went. But really, it's about also raising awareness, no matter where I am, Mm. to to bust the myth about, you know, the stigma around having a brain condition, and also around the fact that it's, you know, seen as an older man's disease. For one, 40% of women or 40% of the people with Parkinson's are women.
0: If not a a bit higher. If not a bit
1: higher. And in fact, in Asian, some Asian countries, it's actually higher in women than it's men. And yet no one's really looking at that and saying, okay, Mm -hmm. why is that? Uh, You know, the other thing is in terms of young onset. So, you know, 30%, up to 30% of people with Parkinson's are under the age of 60. Now, I know that means that, you know, the 70% are still the older, but that 30% is actually more than the total number of people with MS in the world. Yeah, And yet... MS, you know, people are aware of it because it's a younger disease and they do more around it, but we kind of don't get, there's very little research for early onset, there's very little support in terms of, you know, access to, to uh, programs because they're told, well, I mean, I had one gentleman who said, Macy, his neurologist said, come back to me when you start falling. I mean, hello, that's too late. You know, so, Mm -hmm. so that's for me is, 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 you know, really important is, is there's a kind of um, bias an inherent bias that people, you know, think that it's an older person's disease. And in fact, um, you know, uh, a nurse that I've sort of been talking to and she said she she didn't realize that she had her own inherent bias until she was in a clinic. And a woman came in, an older woman with her daughter. And the nurse lady said, she said to the, the daughter, look, you know, we might be a while with your mother, you know, if, if you want to take a seat here. And she said, well, actually, it's not my mom who has Parkinson's. It's me. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you know, so I think we need to start you know uh, having that preconceived notion because people are being missed and misdiagnosed and by the time you're diagnosed with Parkinson's you've lost up to 60% of neurons
0: yeah if we can get in earlier potentially you know you're going to have it's like people being told um you're too young to be going through the menopause yeah oh, yeah. listen we haven't yeah. even gone on, <laughs> on the- <laughs> that's a different TED Talks as you look I want to thank you today Rochelle for joining us you've been um in incredible guest i've uh, thoroughly enjoyed listening to you can you tell us where people can find you online
1: yeah well um they can find me on uh through the my matter, uh matter com and we'll be launching the app on world parkinson's day
0: april 11th
1: um, april 11th yeah and uh, they can follow me on uh, twitter i'm rochelle flan uh, basically you can follow me there as well and on instagram And uh, yeah, through My Moves Matter, be delighted. and Thank you very much for and obviously through the Women's Parkinson's uh, Project uh, website as well.
0: And we'll put all of those um, in the show notes, those details about the Women's Parkinson's Project and My Moves Matter.
1: And if I could just say at the end as well, um, just a little shout out for the World Parkinson's Congress is uh, in the beginning of July this year in Barcelona. And I would highly advocate you know the people go to it because it is an amazing uh you know um, congress where you get access to people that you wouldn't normally get access to mm-hmm. like experts around the world therapists that we don't have access to here um so we just thoroughly encourage people to and there's going to be lots of young onset people there right <laughs> this time around so we're going to have lots of
0: parties and that's too. july 4th to 7th i yes, believe yeah, yeah and we'll put that in the show notes as well so be sure to join us next episode as I chat with Kate Wilkinson, who shares her experience as a spouse and a carer to her husband, Tony, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2015. For more episodes like this, you can find us at Living Your Best Life, a Parkinson's podcast on irishexaminer.com or wherever you get your podcast. Bye for now.